Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco, and here are your California headlines. The Fresno County Board of Supervisors approved a proposal that will establish a process to remove books from children's sections of county libraries if a board-appointed committee deems they contain age-inappropriate content. It also requires that materials deemed inappropriate get a parent or guardian's consent before it can be checked out. Critics of the proposal say this is censorship, including the ACLU, which threatened to sue the county if they approve the proposal. Here's Supervisor Steve Brandau, who introduced the proposal. There's no banning of books. There's no censorship. The book is still there. If somebody, if some parent wants their child to have a first conversation about gender, they can still do that because the book will still be there. But it will not be accessible to the children without the parent. And this week, Governor Gavin Newsom fast-tracked plans for a new reservoir north of Sacramento. The proposed $4.5 billion water storage project would be California's first major reservoir in nearly 50 years. It's designed to capture water from the Sacramento River. The reservoir can hold up to 1.5 million acre-feet of water, enough to supply 3 million households a year. But critics of the project say this will remove much-needed water for fish habitat. And today marks exactly five years since the campfire killed 85 people and leveled paradise. Three years ago, PG&E created the Fire Victim Trust to pay out settlements to fire survivors. But some say they've lost hope they'll ever get their full payments. North State Public Radio's Jamie Jiang reports. This is my daughter, Madison. Hi, Madison. Jessica Collinsworth, her daughters, and her grandson lost their home in the campfire in 2018. Now the family lives paycheck to paycheck in a mobile home park in Chico. The adults have received 45% of their settlement money, but the trust only told them this year how much Collinsworth's 8-year-old grandson will get. When I asked Collinsworth if she thought the family would ever be paid 100% of their claim, she said, We won't get it. You're, you're like hopeless. Oh yeah, we won't get it. The money they're getting is barely enough for Collinsworth's family to survive on, let alone recover from the fire. Collinsworth's lawyers, like many attorneys working with the trust, said they don't believe these campfire survivors will ever be fully compensated. I guess we have to be thankful for the little amounts that we have gotten. But it doesn't, it's not going to replace anything that we've lost. To date, the trust has already paid out more than $10 billion. But it dispenses settlement money in small payments because it isn't fully funded. Any future payments are tied to PG&E's stock, increasing in value. But current trustee of the Fire Victim Trust, Kathy Yanni, said last week she's optimistic campfire survivors will one day be made whole. Yanni said earlier this year that she aims to finish determining all claims by the end of this year, a process she says has slowed payouts. 
and this year the trust made progress on its last outstanding corporate claim. When are they going to start putting the campfire survivors first? Because that's something I want to know. And Collinsworth says the trust should be doing that now. For the California Report, I'm Jamie Jong in Chico. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Flom, and you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A federal criminal trial is beginning tomorrow for David Dipap, the Bay Area man facing life in prison for attacking Paul Pelosi with a hammer and attempting to kidnap former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco last year. KQED's Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez has more on the trial to come. Police responded to the Pelosi home the night of the attack. The officers are standing in the doorway. Hi. How you doing? What's going on, man? Then they give him an order, which DePap refuses. Drop the hammer. DePap swings the hammer at Paul Pelosi, and the officers rush in. That was in October last year. Paul Pelosi had surgery to repair a skull fracture. He's expected to testify in this week's trial. DePap has pleaded not guilty. While he was allegedly motivated by QAnon conspiracy theories to kidnap Nancy Pelosi, his public defenders have said they will not make an insanity defense. Stanford law professor Robert Weisberg says that while a layman may think to pap sounds off kilter. Presumably, uh, there was no hope of an insanity defense because it's incredibly hard to prove insanity. You basically have to be a schizophrenic and a psychotic. He says a defendant must be unable to understand the consequences of their actions for a successful insanity defense. In pretrial hearings, Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley decided to allow the jury to see and hear most of the evidence prosecutors asked for. That includes a phone call to Pat made from jail to station KTVU, where he apologized to the public because he did not, quote, get more of them. Loyola Law School professor Lori Levinson says, I think he's going to use this as a showcase for his message. And uh, even though I think many people will be repulsed by his message, he doesn't care. He just wants to turn the volume up. If so, testifying in his own defense could give DePap the opportunity to deliver his extremist views to a bigger audience. The trial is expected to wrap before Thanksgiving. For the California Report, I'm Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez in San Francisco. Jewish members of the California legislature are calling for public universities in California to take immediate action to protect Jewish students. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports. The letter is signed by the 18 members of the Jewish Legislative Caucus, all Democrats, and addressed to UC President Michael Drake and CSU President Mildred Garcia. It cites recent anti-Semitic incidents, including physical abuse and threats against Jewish students. 
The lawmakers say that university leaders' failure to, quote, speak with moral clarity and forcefully condemn the Hamas massacre has predictably served to normalize hate speech on campuses. The letter calls for Drake and Garcia to develop comprehensive plans to address anti-Semitism and ensure Jewish people feel safe and welcome on college campuses. For The California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos in San Francisco. And that's The California Report for Wednesday, November 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for The California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Medicine comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives, stanfordmedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery, on the web at schmidtocean.org. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. I'm Jason Flom. And you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.